Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. The U.S. unemployment rate plunged to a whopping 3.6% in April, down from 3.8% as the economy added more than 400,000 new jobs. It's jobs, jobs and more jobs. The nation has regained over 20 million of the 22 million jobs lost early in the COVID crisis, leaving it just 1.6 million jobs shy of its pre-pandemic level. There are now hundreds of thousands of highly paid jobs with openings and bosses can't find enough workers. If you think it's time to break out the champagne and do some cartwheels, you might want to think again. The jobs market is not quite so turbocharged and as rosy as it may seem. There are the massive shortages of workers in key industries, soaring inflation that is hurting take-home pay, and many workers may have either opted out or quit the market in frustration and in droves, as their prospects dim. Here to make sense of all of this is my guest coming up, Ira S. Wolf. He's an expert on workforce trends, founder of Success Performance Solutions, a TEDx speaker, and an author of five books, including his latest, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, which has been recognized as one of the best recruiting books of all time by Book Authority. But if we take it to where are the fastest growing jobs, where are the jobs in the future, just look at the trends. Artificial intelligence, data, machine learning, robotics, drones. Those are, there's not enough people to fill those jobs. So And that was Ira Wolf, my guest coming up in a wee moment. First, I want to tell you about a great new podcast you'll want to listen to on Apple and on all the good platforms out there. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations with the famed bank analyst Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group, and it's hosted by yours truly. Episode 10 is now out, and it looks at cracks in the U.S. housing market and at some crucial information on the nationalization of the government-sponsored U.S. housing agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and why this could spell trouble for U.S. housing. The podcast is called Odeon Capital Conversations, and you won't want to miss it. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. 
Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. My guest is Ira Wolf, and he is a brilliant labor force expert here in the U.S. who will tell us what he sees happening in the workforce, the hiring trends, as U.S. unemployment just hit 3.6% in April. Is this all good news? Well, we'll ask Ira Wolf. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Ira Wolf, welcome to my show. Hey, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to meet. Great to be here. I'm going to begin by saying it seems to me anyway that we're in the best of times, the worst of times. To quote Dickens, we just saw the unemployment rate drop lower this morning. I mean, it's at some really record low, uh, 3.6. So it seems like there's a lot of jobs out there. And yet we hear all this talk about the great resignation, employers finding it hard to find employees, and even consumer confidence is being sort of battered around, if you will. Help us to make sense of all of this. John, great questions, and there's a lot to unpack there. So you're absolutely right. I mean, how can the unemployment rate be going down uh, at a time when we, when the, when the economists and leaders are talking about, you know, all this disruption? We we still have this uh, the uncertainty of the war uh, in the Ukraine. We have uh, gas prices. Uh, you know, that, well, today they dropped a, a few cents, but they're going up. But we have runaway inflation, basically runaway inflation uncontrolled inflation. Um, but is when it comes to the labor market, there's some things that have just been ignored. 20 years ago, I wrote my first book, um, or I started to talk about it, and it was about 17, 18 years ago when the book came out. But I titled it The Perfect Labor Storm. And there was a convergence of trends, uh, starting with, well, eventually the baby boomers are going to retire. Uh, and at that point, it was like, what are we going to do with these millennials? And people were still complaining about Gen X. And now we have Gen Z. Um, but there, there was a demographic shift. There was a shift in in gender of, of the role of of men in the workplace versus women. Uh, we had uh, technology was in its infancy. Uh, we didn't even have broadband. We didn't even it, it, when I when I talked about the perfect labor storm, there was no there was no iPhone, there was no iPad, there was no smartphone. The the changes are enormous. The convergence of of shifting of technology, people, business, demographics, uh, socialization um, has just disrupted the workforce. But ultimately, where where these numbers keep shocking people, and for people like myself who have researched this for years, all you have to do is step back and look at the participation rate, at least in the United States and most developed countries. The participation rate in the workforce has just declined. It's just been a downhill slope. There's no bumps. It's not temporary. There's been a couple of blips in the radar with with the recessions we had. Um, and and the two statistics that I, I share with everybody, and these are from the U.S., uh, and, but very very similar in in other developed countries. In 1950, there was four out of five men that worked. Actually, 82 percent, 82 percent of working age men had a job. As of last month, it was 62%. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. So one out of five men have dropped out of the workforce. We could, that's a whole other issue. We want to talk what, what happened to them. At the same time, 1950, there was 32% of women worked, one out of three, right before the pandemic, right before we had the she session, where, where women had to go home and take care of their kids and teach and mentor and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, there was nearly 60% participation rate. So at the same time that the male participation rate was declining, the female participation rate was doubling. Uh, and that masked the problem. But here we are in 2022. And not only are men dropping out of the workforce, but so are women. And women, because of the childcare and transportation and you know pay ec gender equity, and, and then also just the ability to start their own businesses and be entrepreneurs and, and be gig workers and do all the... Do, uh, there has just been an exodus from the labor market yet. And everybody says, yeah, but we're, 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 we still employ about the same number of people we did 20 and 30 years ago. Absolutely true. Here's the problem. Our population has doubled. We, we now have 330 million people versus when I was talking about 1950, it's like 160 million people. So our population has doubled and we still have the same number of people working and now we have this, this barbell-shaped demographic that we have a large, 20% of the population is over 65 years old, and you have a larger dependent population. And last kicker here, then I'll shut up, no immigration. That's a fascinating <laughs> point. Immigration is a stall, especially during COVID. So we'll see where that heads. It would suggest that we won't have any growth in population, if that continues, in fact, you could see a decline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we don't know. We have to change the laws. We have to become much more accommodating. Yeah. Uh, you know, for years it was, and we still hear this. It, it was a political slant that the that it, that immigration was preventing U.S. workers from getting jobs, and the immigration stopped, and nobody wants those jobs. So, you know, it, yeah. and you initially reached out about, you know, what, what, are, what are the fastest growing jobs? And that depends on how you frame the job. So if you look at what are the most in-demand jobs, and I'm going to just go down this list I, I had pulled up because it's, it's sort of an, ups, I won't say an obscene list, but it's a, it's a crazy list. This is not where the best jobs are. These are not where the fastest growing jobs are, but this is where the jobs are currently. Fast food, home health aides, cashiers, retail sales, wait, uh, servers, um, in, in hot for waitress and wait, you know, waiters and waitresses, but servers, uh, laborers in construction. These are all low education. Most of them are minimal or low education, high school degree, maybe an associate degree, lower wage jobs. If you look at the massive number of jobs that are open, those are the jobs. That's not where the fastest growing jobs are. The fastest growing jobs are, are highly, highly skilled jobs. So you go from, I can graduate high school and, and earn now, fortunately, minimum wage in most places is going to be $15, $20 an hour, which is still not a lot to live on. Uh, it just brings people out of poverty. But if we take it to where are the fastest growing jobs, where are the jobs in the future? Uh, just look at the trends, artificial intelligence, data, machine learning, robotics, drones, there's not enough people to fill those jobs. So it, when we look at this unemployment rate, those, those jobs are being created, but there's not enough people qualified to fill them. 
And especially if we take out the immigration factor, because a lot of those jobs were filled by immigrants uh, or students who came over here and and then stayed or worked for those companies during their educational period. And that stopped during COVID, too. Um, The other big area that obviously we need a lot of people in transportation or a lot of people in in for the industry is healthcare. Um, Maybe not only do we have the demographic effect of physicians and nurses retiring, uh, but we have an aging population. Uh, Even for younger populations, there's higher demand because we know we know now a lot more about medicine and healthcare. So behavioral health and and nurse practitioners, PAs, nurses, physicians. Um, you know, even looking at the wellness side of uh, people are more focused on, on this life work integration and taking care of themselves. And, and because of the pandemic, because of the last two years, there's been a greater focus to go, Hey, we, we sort of like this. We like this lifestyle, but we have to learn how to do it. And so yeah. wellness and behavioral health, uh, it, those are all on the rise. Those are the fastest growing jobs, but we have a real problem because we don't have an education system that's going to be able to fill that. We don't have an immigration system that can take care of that. Uh, and we have a lot of people that just aren't qualified to go and get the jobs that are that are done now or can afford to accept the pay that's offered in many of those jobs. Ira, you brought up uh, the highly skilled jobs and employers can't find enough workers. Any ideas of how many of those jobs are out there and, what, and the kind of salaries i mean thousands and thousands of unfilled positions i'm going to guess and very well paid middle class jobs so it, you know the the jobs are classified by industry so if we look at like construction there's a million unfilled jobs uh, that, that are anticipated uh, if we look at transportation truck drivers there's a million unfilled jobs if we look at healthcare uh, there's uh depending on the estimate and the position uh anywhere between 400 and 800,000 open jobs the 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 latest statistics from the unemployed to the unemployed number of people per open job is now 0.6 never been that low what that means is if that every company hired every employer if they can you know my my saying is two two tests to get employed you can fog a mirror and you got warm blood if you can show up and and, and do that right. is either every company can cut can can employ a part-time person, a half of an employee, a 0.6 FTE, or uh, half of the companies are still going to have job openings. It, the whole thing is amazing. You know, you described a mix of skilled, unskilled, and semi-skilled jobs there. So it just surprises me that we hear a lot of uh, moaning and groaning about highly paid jobs hard to get and yet they are out there it's just that some of these college kids and high school seniors are looking at the wrong careers maybe yeah and and we got to blame parents on a lot of that uh we still hear it there's still you know i'm I'm an adjunct professor in in a university um, and they're still plugging away and, and getting kids in. Yet, the, the cost of education is you know astronomical. That's we we can talk about that on another episode. Uh, but but the parents still, it's still where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to get a degree? And certain jobs require that, but a lot of jobs don't. Uh, if you look at the trades, you know that they they need apprenticeships or they need associate degrees or they need technical training. But welders are, are a graduate of a, well, a welder graduates at $80,000 a year. 
uh, upwards, if they're good, they can get one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year making that. When we look, I, I wrote in my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, uh, and the first half of the book has nothing to do with recruitment. It literally has to do with all the changes of the jobs. But I, I did a story of, of an HVAC tech, and, and in, and which is a high-demand job, by the way. It's, it's one, of, one of those jobs. And if you look at what it traditionally was, is you usually have somebody com, come in and repair your air conditioner and your furnace. It was a mechanical, it was a piece of equipment. There were mechanical pieces. They made sure everything worked and they check it out. It's now a computer that just happens to cool or heat your air. You know, very simply, it's like your yep. cars. A, a car is a computer yep. with four wheels on it. That's yeah. that's essentially what it is. And you don't have to be driving a Tesla uh, to be to, to, to get that. If you look at an HVAC tech and you go, hey, I'm really good at my hands or I'm going to go into plumbing. Uh, and plumbing is one of those still probably manual, highly manual labor, other than when you have to hook up an electronic toilet. Uh, but but HVAC, which we all need, is really a technology job that just happens to be in the trades. So I wrote about this in the book to say, one is people people need computer skills because it's that at minimum, your old you know, our boiler, our, our, our heating system is 20 years old, fortunately still working, but it's hooked up to a smart thermostat. Mm. So somebody has, so that tech needs to know how to program that. Now, where we're, where we're going though, is that because there's a shortage in, in, in supplies and, and, and especially in semiconductors, what happens when you can't get the part? So you 3D print it. Now we need 3D printers to be able to do that. Or what about robotics? What about fly? What about the sensors that instead of saying, "Hey, our heat went off," that these these HVAC companies can monitor that and say, "Hey, we recognize that there's a problem. We're going to come out to your house ahead of time." What about fly? If we if you can't 3D print the part, you can bring in a drone. You can call and somebody the supply company doesn't drive because there's no drivers. They basically can drop the part uh, nearby. Now, this isn't happening yet, but, but it it's going to happen soon. And, and that's the direction that we're moving. And that's the way to solve some of the shortages. The challenge with that is we still think, and parents think of, oh, HVAC job is, you know, you're a tech. I mean, where's that going to go? A plumber. I mean, hire a plumber these days. They're $150 an hour if you can get one. Uh, carpenters uh, is probably, you know, construction, there's a shortage and we need a lot of housing. I mean, housing inventory is at the lowest. It's another crazy thing. Yeah. So we have low unemployment, we have high, but we have high inflation. We have uncertainty in the economy. We have uncertainty in the world. And yet there's a housing shortage. We can't get it. People can't find enough houses. Everybody was wrong that millennials and Gen Z were never going to buy houses. Well, well, yeah, they want to buy houses, but we don't have enough people to build the inventories. In, in Philadelphia, I just saw the stat come out. They have a two-week inventory. Of housing. Uh, that's housing. it, of housing in, in the Philadelphia market. Yeah, uh, the housing market's hot. That's crazy. But they can't build enough houses fast enough because they can't find enough people beyond the supply problem, which people are a supply problem, you can't find enough people to do that. Uh, the, you know, swinging a hammer, you know, basically swinging a hammer and, and cutting wood um, is, is a low skill. But, there, and we're just not quite there yet, but 3D printed houses within five or 10 years 
are going to be pretty common and, 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 and they'd be able to put those up, you know, pretty quickly. So now we don't need carpenters. We need technology people that can service, can use, service, build, maintain, repair, install, uh, and manufacture 3D printers and all the, all the concurrent parts and everything else that goes along with it. And we need the drone people to create the drones, but we need drone operators. So these are all the jobs that are going to be there in, in the future. And the only thing that I would say to people is, okay, uh, he's, he's nuts. You know, this is all science fiction. We're still not going to be able to do that. We live in rural America. You don't understand what it's like here. Yeah, there's still going to be a place for the old, you know, for the world that we knew. The problem is, is that if we go back, let's imagine that the pandemic happened in 2010. And for as much as people complain about Zoom fatigue, technology fatigue, uh, we just want to go back to normal, have that relationship. Imagine what the pandemic would have been had we not had any technology. Yeah, it's a great we, point. Can you imagine yeah. the world would have ground to a halt, at least the economy. Absolutely. Or we would have, so we had 30 million people who were laid off, were lost their jobs. Uh, we still had 110 million people that were working. If we, if we didn't have, if we didn't have that technology, those people, we have been forced to go to work and that would, whatever that would have done uh, to the, to the spread uh, and to the number of deaths and, 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 and sickness that we would have had, but we didn't have to do that. But it was timing. It was just that the technology was there. Uh, 99% of executives in 2019 said telecommuting and remote work would never work in their business. Now it's 50 to 80% say, well, some degree it might. Uh, yeah. That shifted yeah. overnight because the technology that they said would never work actually worked. So if we look ahead five or 10 years and companies are saying, you know, all this technology, what about the, the airspace with drones? Uh, nobody wants a 3D printed house. If we take all that out, some incident is going to force that issue. And all of a sudden, it becomes mainstream and adopted. And now we've got a real crisis on our hand because we're not educating people to go into those fields. We're saying you still need to go to college and get a four-year degree, or you need to go to professional school, or you need to... Yeah, we do need people that do need to pursue that, but we need people to pursue a different path. And parents, many parents, are still stuck is my kid gets needs to get a four-year college degree. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the mindset. It, it's fascinating what you're bringing up. I, I wonder, is some of it to do with social status, social stigma, you know, the old blue-collar, white-collar kind of thinking. The blue-collar guy went and worked with his hands. The white-collar guy went to the office. Supposedly, he made more money and more security. The blue-collar guy, you know, sweat of his brow made less money. But it's it's reversed, the guys and a lot of the people, the folks in the office don't make as much money as the guy working with his hands now. And you're saying that some of these salaries for these so-called blue collar up to 150,000 a year. A carpenter in New York City, they're unionized. They can make up to 100,000 or more a year. Oh, easy. Oh, and that's easy. Yeah. That's that's a small. That's at the low end. Oh, absolutely. So if you if you talk about plumbers, welders, um, electricians. Uh, uh, automotive uh, technicians, those jobs are, are now highly, highly skilled, very well-paid jobs. And But if we go back, and again, it depends, people need to read behind the headlines. When it's talked about the fastest growing jobs, my, my mind went immediately to a bunch of places. The largest number of openings are on low-skill, low-paid jobs. 
which used to be filled by immigrants. And they said, but they're taking the jobs from people, but people don't want those jobs. They, and, and then they can go, then the next part is we can go to these highly skilled jobs, which aren't in abundance. There's a, there's a smaller number. We're not going to be able to employ hundreds of thousands of people in these jobs yet, but those are the fastest growing jobs. And the demand is there. And, and in fact, the labor supply is holding up the progress of some of those jobs. Because if you can't build, if you can't find enough people to build semiconductors fast enough, then that disrupts the whole supply chain. And, and a good part of that happens to be because of the lack of, of people. So it, it really is a, a very um, complex um, problem. And, and, and then you look at the education. I mean, again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of that traditional four-year, well, I'm actually teaching a master's level program, but you look at the path of the students, they're still coming out with these traditional degrees with the traditional education. And I'm not saying we don't need that. I'm not saying we yeah. don't. Yeah. I mean, there is obviously need for educated people and those who do the traditional path. Let's get that clear. Yes. Yeah. So we still need that, but we're, but we're, we've got to figure out a better way that we can teach people how to write. At, they, we need to teach people how to write and communicate uh, and history and geography and political science and, and multiple languages, all those things. But at the same time, we have to teach them the skills that prepare them for a future of work. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Ira Wolf, and he is a labor force expert talking to me about what he sees happening in the wider jobs market, the trends in the wake of the U.S. unemployment rate falling to 3.6% in April. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. I, I want to ask you your opinion, Ira, on the unemployment rate. It's 3.6%. On, on the surface, that's good news. But is it realistic? Is it a, a realistic um presentation of what's going on in the ground a lot of people have left the workforce and some are in low-paid jobs perhaps or they've just quit i mean it doesn't necessarily mean what we might initially imagine you know 3.6 percent wow the economy's on fire here no absolutely and and so there are a lot of people that are and, and again you may many listeners are, are saying that can't be, you know, employers just don't want to pay money or there, I can't get jobs in my area. So there's a problem when you do averages. 3.6 is the average across the country. Mm -hmm. There are pockets that are still high. There, there are still pockets that are over 5%, 6%, which isn't very high. That's, um, you know, traditionally uh, it, it, at 1.5% was full employment, you know, and then, then they dropped it to 4%. So part of, part of the 3.6 is, is that it's not uniform. It depends on the location. It depends on the industries that you're looking at. But it also depends on how it's measured. And it's measured by a survey of calling employers to say, how many open jobs do you have? And then they survey people and say, how many people are looking for a job? And by their numbers, how many unemployment claims do we have? 
Well, if you're if if you're literally that kid sitting in the basement or an adult at this point sitting in a basement, uh, working on Fiverr and Upwork and doing gig work or doing consulting work for a company because they don't want to bring you back on your payroll, you're not counted. You're not you're not in the economy. So there is this you know for whatever word you want to use, but this gig economy, this freelance economy, that there's a lot of people making a living doing something that's not on the radar, and I'm not saying illegal, but it's not on the employment statistic radar. So when you when you get when you start talking to people that uh, the economists that really, really study this, and I'm 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 just a make-believe economist. I, I I track trends. There are some that are saying, even currently, that there's 11 million jobs, 11.2, I think, and there's 8 million people looking. But the real economy number, the, the real number of people that are unemployed, it's about 13 million. Again, people dropped out, people are on the sidelines, can't come back to work yet because I don't have childcare, I don't have transportation. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm still better off getting government aid of whatever form and going back to work because I can't work for $10 an hour or $8 an hour. So there's a lot there. Yes, there's, a, there's about four or 5 million people there, but the numbers of, of people that are actually not in the workforce uh, that are are technically unemployed is I've seen numbers as high as 26 million people, which means that there's another 13 million people that somehow are either homeless or getting a, a reasonable income from doing gig jobs. I mean, I use Upwork and Fiverr all the time. And I try to, you know, I try to use US workers and and, and isolate it to that. I can't do it all the time, but I you know, I, I, I employ three people in my company. It's a small consulting company. But at the end of the year, I probably have seven or eight people. And if it wasn't for, for gig workers, I'd have them as employees. Uh, but, but they are employees. They're still getting paid. They're making a living. They're, they're, they're using that money to pay rent and buy food and travel and do all these things and pay their health care premiums or whatever they're using it for. There are other ways to make money that is not tracked by the current unemployment rate. Yeah, and of course, during COVID, the two-year or so period where a lot of companies shut down or sent workers home and folks lost their jobs, a lot of baby boomers or those in the 60-plus year age group retired early. They said, the heck with this. I'm a couple of years away from retirement anyway. I'm getting closer to Social Security. So that was a mass number of people who left the workforce. You're again, this is we can we go down this rabbit hole, and there's and and every time we bring up a subject, there's there, yeah, there's, you can take it in another direction. We, we lost right? we lost people. The baby boomer exodus was predicted for 20 years, uh, and and baby boomers didn't leave or they left and they got bored where they realized I don't have enough money to live the way I wanted to live. So they continue to work. Now, many of them, especially professionals, people that work for corporations, were now work as consultants, but they're not technically employed. They're consultants. They're, 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 they're retained. But the pandemic saw an exodus of 1.5 million additional baby boomers left the market. Wow. That's a huge a number of people. And if you look at a million, nearly a million people that passed away because of COVID, half of them were over the age of 65. Mm -hmm. Now, not all of them were working, but it's a, a portion of them was. So a combination of baby boomers just saying, okay, I've had enough. I was supposed to retire at 62, 65, but now I'm 70, 75. I'm 
you know, I, I just can't deal with it. I'm not going to risk my family. It's just too crazy. I'm not going to work with a mask. Now, now is the time to get out. Now, reality is, is when things come down, maybe some of those will come back on a, on a part-time basis, but they're also in their 60s, 70s, and 80s doing that. So there's a, they, they, they aren't going to fill the trades jobs and many other jobs. Yes, they can be a greeter at Walmart. They certainly can work in professional uh, areas. They can do gig jobs. Uh, but they're certainly not in some of the many of these high demand jobs, and especially the ones that are high tech uh, that require, uh, you know, good background and technology. But, you know, and then the ones who obviously passed away are, are gone. But baby boomers are going to continue to get older mm-hmm. and they're going to continue to leave. So that's not a trend that's going to go away. That wasn't just a blip. It was just this backlog of people delayed it and then they, and they dropped out in the, in the pandemic, like many other things, just kind of pulled back the curtain and accelerated uh, some of these some of these. Uh, you know changes, but yeah, we we lost we lost a lot of experience and brain power, and we lost people. That yeah, the, 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 the stats out there are staggering. I just read that 4.35 million more Americans left their jobs in February. So it's very yeah. difficult to get your arms around year. all these shifts, which you're looking at very closely. And 20 years ago, you saw a lot coming in that book you you wrote, and um, who would have seen mobile phones and all this advanced technology as we have it today your most recent book ira is recruiting in the age of googleization and that's now in its second edition and so the title is a little bit misleading because i don't recruit and i don't staff that's not what my <laughs> company does we, we provide pre-employment and leadership testings you know to companies and really i started to write books and follow these trends just to see where things are going to be able to help companies and also to market the business and basically have you know be an expert uh, in, in not only the tools that we we sell and service, um, but also just be able to have a spot on to have a business in, in 10 or 20 years. And the reality was, yeah, it's going to get harder and harder to find people and the skills are going to be more and uh, you know, fitting into the culture is going to be important and all those things. So along the way, I wrote you know a bunch of books. So the recruiting in the age of Googleization, what I was doing is really updating a prior book. I started talking. I started talking about Googleization, which was the convergence of business technology and people back in 2008. And I wrote a book called Geek Skeezers and Googleization, which now I now I use it as my podcast because it was about people, technology, and business. I decided in 2015, 2016. Uh, maybe it's time to kind of update the book. I didn't feel really, if you've written the book, anybody who's written the book knows that you got to be in the zone and it takes a tremendous amount of time and it's nerve wracking doing the proofreading and adjusting and doing all those things. And I said, yeah, I'm, I don't want to do it. But, you know, I've got I've got this geese geezers and Googleization book. It talked about the four generations. I'm going to write about Gen Z and, and the impact of technology over the last six or seven years since I wrote it. And I, I, so I reread the book and I'm looking and I'm looking and go, how did I not talk about uh, the iPad, like tablets and the cloud? I mean, so this is 2016, mind you. And how did I not really reference that at all? To reckon, to realize that in 2008, when I wrote it, the smartphone came out one year before. So the, I, the Apple, I, the iPhone was out one year before. There was no iPad. It was only on Apple's roadmap. And it was like, wow, things really changed. And then recognized that never talked about the cloud, never talked about remote work, never talked about a lot of these technologies. And so I'm going to rewrite the book of how quickly the world is changing. And so the first 150 pages of the book has nothing to do with recruitment, staffing, workforce. 
indirectly the workforce, but it had to do with how fast the world was changing. And, you know, there, there's, there's numbers of people, and I try to make sense of that because when we talk about how quickly change is, people have been complaining about change for, you know, millennium, uh, literally. There's, there's quotes from BC of people complaining about the younger generation and kids, you know, how fast the world is changing. But the reality is, is that if, is if we took all the events that happened in 2020, so beginning with the pandemic, uh, social unrest, uh, a crazy election, um, climate change, wildfires, um, tornadoes, hurricanes, we take all those events, that crazy, crazy year of 2020, and go forward 20 years. So we go to 2040. All those events will likely occur within a three-month period. That's going to be our lives. Every, and we're already experiencing that. We've had more tornadoes in, in Pennsylvania, which we never had tornadoes. That used to be Ohio, Midwest. And, you know, if you lived in Indiana, don't live in a trailer park. Well, tornadoes went through the Pennsylvania last night. Wow. And they've never, ever occurred until last year in the, in the month of March. Now we're having multiple tornadoes in a state that never had tornadoes. So we have all this climate change. If you took all those events 20 years out, we're going to have this as a regular occurrence. That's going to be what I call the never normal, um, because people want to go back to the way it was, the never normal every three months. And if you go out another 20 years, all, all the events, this, this pace of craziness is going to occur every 11 days. That's what living life on an exponential curve is. Now, is everybody going to experience the same way? No. But we're going to have these constant disruptions and changes. So people are going to have to become a lot more adaptable, a lot more fluid. That was what the first part of the book was about. The last part was about how companies are going to have to prepare that. Now, the crazy thing is, is they wrote it in 2017. And people were saying, well, when do you think all this is going to happen? And, and, and even in the book, I talked about 2025, 2030. Pandemic comes around. And all of a sudden, everything I talked about happened. And the second edition came out the month before the pandemic started. I, I, I added five more chapters and then the pandemic happened. So the, the, the book was timely and it sort of predicted the world we're going to live in now and what companies are going to have to do to recruit. But the book really wasn't intended to be about recruitment. It was intended to be about the future work. In fact, the original title is now the subtitle, which is when the shift hits your plan. You're the world's first Googleization officer. I found that um, stood out in my mind. Um, and also, you're a TEDx speaker, and uh, you're one of the top 10 global thought leaders on future of work and HR. I want to ask you, Ira, just sort of broadly, the trends with those coming in and leaving the workforce. Are we going to see other changes like baby boomers and because of the shortages of skilled workers in some categories, we may see much older people coming back into the workforce because it's an offer they can't refuse and employers are so desperate. Those who are retired a long time say, gee, these guys will pay me anything. I can call my own shots, work three days a week, work remote. Do you see that possibly happening? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, there's no question. And they said, well, although we lost 1.5 million baby boomers um, over the pandemic. There's no question. I mean, I'm an older baby boomer. So there's, there's a number of people that are, that are my peers who have retired. And then when I talk to them, they're working all these gig jobs. So they're going, they're working back for the company or they're, they're, they've, they have a hobby, which is now working for a business. So people want, most people want to be active. I mean, when we think about life, I mean, my mother's going to be 99 
uh, this year. Uh, she was really, really active until maybe the last, well, certainly not through the pandemic, but uh, through that. But people, you know, the, the, the lifespan, the, our life expectancy, it used to be very, very unusual to have somebody live to be 100 or even into the 90s. Now it's commonplace. We, every, everybody you talk to has, has a relative or a parent uh, or someone close to them that they know that is, that is, that is older. So in the sixth, the retirement at 62, 65, even 70 is really, you know, living in the past. And so most people are going to be doing something, you know, actively working. Uh, and, and again, I don't expect baby boomers to fill the, these AI machine learning. I don't expect them to be flying drones and building 3D <laughs> and 3D houses. That's not their skill set, obviously. Right. So some maybe, I mean, I know a couple, I know, uh, you know, a, a number of people are still investing and, and doing those things. Uh, but the reality is, yes, I, you know, it's a long answer for, for a short question. But yes, I, I do believe baby boomers will come back. But that's not the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is, is how do we prepare, uh, you know, millenn- millennials, uh, which now, by the way, are 45 years old. So when we talk about all oh, those darn millennials, it's the millennials complaining about millennials. Millennials are the oldest millennials are now 45 years old. And then we have Gen Z that's coming into the market. But anybody under the age of 40 uh, really is looking at a, a, a life of uh, continual learning, uh, upskilling, reskilling, uh, you know, the days of graduating with the degree and, hey, now I got to pay back my loan and I can't afford any further education. Uh, it's going to be a continual learning, upskilling, reskilling process. Uh, we're way, way behind on that. Uh, and uh, but we, we, we really we're, we're we're falling behind. I mean, China in, in one regard. I mean, we could talk about the quality of life and the government, uh, but China's really prepared a workforce for the future. They don't always pay them well. And there's a lot of other things that are wrong. Um, well, but yeah, when we you, know that there's, there are yeah, a lot of things yeah. politically, especially but when you look at uh, tech savviness, digital savviness, understanding where the world's going. You know, uh, you know they're they're there. That's what they've educated uh, a, a population for. So we we need to do you know much better job uh, at being able to do that. But um, th- it's going to be continual change. As, as I said, I described the future as, you know, people talked about the new normal, next normal, future next. Uh, I describe it as never normal. And, yeah, and that's, a, a, and we, an interesting to become, way to look at it. In terms of uh, the jobs in America, is it fair and accurate to say that anybody that wants a job in America can find one? Or is it a little more nuanced and um, not quite that simple? I mean, Presumably, in the New York area, there are a lot of uh, employers begging for workers, but you may not find that in other parts of the country. Well, yeah, it's, again, we, we, uh, saying it's complex and complicated is an understatement. So let's say New York. So the, the, the in demand, there's certainly high, there's highly skilled, well-paying jobs, but a lot of the jobs that they need people with are the lower skilled jobs, yeah. Rest, restaurant workers, laborers. We need that. The problem is, where do they live? I mean, you can't, they can't afford to live in Manhattan. They can't afford to live in the good areas yeah. uh, if they're doing those jobs. If, and therefore, now we have a, a transportation problem. Uh, and even if there is transportation to go, hey, they hop on a subway or a train or a bus. Well, it's more costly uh, to get there if they, you know, and although certainly, you know, the cities tend to get most of the attention because they have the, they're the, the, the center of population. When you look at rural America, it's really a problem. Or, but even in the city, 
I mean, healthcare, um, well, not only healthcare, but uh, childcare. If, if, if a, lot, a lot of the people that are unemployed that are, str- that are available now can't work, um, they're willing to work, but they can't work because what do they do with their kids? And, you know, 50% of child care uh, shut down over the pandemic in lower income areas, because a lot of those were run um, by minority workers, by minority owners, and they couldn't afford it and they went out of business and they haven't reopened yet. So in the, in the areas where there are people who are unemployed, they can't get to work because what are they going to do with the kids? And the cost of getting to work is astronomical. And yes, the pay's gone up, but not enough to compensate for the cost. I mean, people are paying no. ridiculous numbers. We live in a, you know, we live in the Lehigh Valley and, and in a nice community. That's in Pennsylvania. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, right. In the Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton area. Uh, my my um, my kids are paying somewhere between $1,200 and $2,000 a month for childcare. It's three times their mortgage. Yeah, it's expensive. That they're paying to go to work. Now, both of them, you know, one owns a business, one has a good job. That's crazy. I mean, so the that unemployment number is is just are there people that are willing to work but can't, and that also answers some of the people that are out, out of the, the there's that aren't being counted. That just said, I can't afford to go to work. I'm I'm not getting. I'm not even getting unemployment anymore. I'm just not going to be counted in those numbers. Is it's astronomically high, and yeah. that's that's both the, that and that's a tragedy. Um, and it's a, it, it doesn't speak well for the society um, because eventually, you know, they, they need health care. They, they, and they, you know, if you're not, if you want to work and you're not working, then you, you, you're, it becomes a mental illness problem yeah, as well. Yeah. A lot of these businesses and hospitality uh, areas, uh, fast food, the McDonald's, uh, the diners and so on that are having it hard finding employees, that's a problem. So a lot of uh, businesses in the retail sector, as a result, are struggling. Uh, will that continue for, or will they have to just raise their uh, salaries to to find workers? How how are they going to deal with this going forward? Yeah, both. You know, I just did a podcast earlier this week, and and there was a fast food restaurant chain. I won't bring up their name; you can look it up. Um, that said, that because of high inflation, they're asking their employees. It was an internal memo. They were going to ask your employees to take a lower wage. Wow. Um, interesting strategy. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I hope they're tipped employees because, you know, that would be a pretty um, patriotic and loyal thing to do for your boss. Yeah, yeah, but the problem with, with that is, is because those rest, it, it's, a, it's a cycle. It's a bad cycle. Mm. Because those restaurants and, and fast food um, aren't, they, they've not come back to where they were before. The, the volumes, the numbers aren't there. People aren't coming in. And if you don't have the right people, you don't have enough people, then they don't get their service. So if you say, "Listen, we're going to lower the wage, but you can make you can make up your money um, by with tips," but the the food's not coming out on time, the orders are wrong, the service is bad. I'm not leaving you a tip. Uh, the way the, the servers are the ones who suffer, and and so we can't find enough people. So our quality is bad. Uh, and we're going to cut your wages. I mean, it's, it's just a ridiculous path to take. Uh, there's going to be a shortage because here's the other thing is the minimum wage in, in many areas is, is uh, it's a two, $2.13, I think, uh, somewhere, plus, wa- plus all the tips you can have. In, in the past, 
We, you can make that's a the, I think living. that's the tip wage because obviously the minimum wage is moving to 15 and above yeah. across but America. If you, were a server, if you were a server, the minimum you had to pay a worker was $2 and some odd cents. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then you, all the tips you can have and then they can earn, you know, they can earn up to, you know, it was limitless. The, the challenge with that is, is that now you can't get the tips, but let's say you're going to say, we're going to pay our servers $15 an hour. Okay, minimum. And the... Amazon warehouse down the street is paying 18 to 28. Yeah. I'm 18 to 22 years old. Um, I'm still able-bodied. Where am I going to go? No, 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 no brainer. No, yeah, no, no contest. Ira, where can people learn more about what you do and your company? Can you give us some addresses here, websites? Sure. Uh, my website is success performance solutions. I apologize. It's a long one, but my company is success performance solutions. Uh, my, uh, or you can go to my personal website, Ira Wolf, I-R-A-W-O-L-F-E. I'm also very, very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, if you reach out to me, um, I'll be happy to connect. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, there's a real active, uh, I probably post the subject talking about these subjects all the time. Uh, do a lot of podcasts like this, so I really appreciate that, this opportunity to to share and 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 also get smarter by by your questions and and the questions from uh, the audience. So I'd like to do it again. Have you back on? Maybe we just talk about the trends because everything is so it it changes so rapidly. It's impossible to keep up with an expert input. <laughs> it's never normal, John. That's a good way to end. <laughs> Ira Wolf, thank you for being on my show. Thank you very much. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.